It's time for To The Last Drop Podcast with Liam Delcom and Brandon Nell. Well, the big game against Ireland's gone. We're back. This is To The Last Drop. This is episode 13. I'm Brandon Nell and with me is Liam Delcom. Liam, the aftermath of that game is we've almost moved on very quickly from that aftermath because the World Cup doesn't stand still and... Uh, We've got, to, we've got to make sure that Springboks qualify for the quarterfinals. Yeah, you're right. Uh, the World Cup very much is uh, the old rolling caravan. We don't stay in one spot for very long. Um, you can try and dwell on something, uh, something significant. And let's be, let's be honest, uh, that Springbok Island game was something significant. Uh, a hell of an occasion. Uh, to, to be fair, it was something in the making for more than three years. So almost a thousand days since we knew, you know, uh, these two teams were going to clash. Uh, in Paris, and it was a, a fitting occasion because, I mean, the build-up to that game and the day itself, uh, the scenes outside Star de France and also um, in the game itself, um, there was a, a nervous energy, a bit of a tension. In fact, I think I wrote that um, the game itself, I mean, what I was trying to describe now was the sort of the pre-match scenes, you know, just involving fans. Um, cause you just got the sense nobody wants to lose this game. And in the game itself, um, uh, it, it was a really intense affair. Um, it, it, I made the point in copy that, it, yeah, it wasn't a carnival of rugby. It wasn't a festival of rugby. Um, cause there was a, a brutality to that game, um, that you, you very rarely see. Um, you also got the impression that like it's it's the game has moved on so much that it's like uh, you you get the sense it's like it's been designed by men and women in a in a laboratory because it, everything is so sterile and clinical and like um, you know the the, the the way these men push themselves on the field. I mean they know exactly the next move. The in terms of their physical preparation, they they couldn't be better prepared. So. Um, yeah, it, it's you think of that game and you think to yourself, wow, wow, how are they going to top that? Look, I mean, I obviously had it a very different way. And uh, I think let's, let's, <laughs> before we get into too much of that game, uh, let's first start with the Bok team because that's the, the current news. And <laughs> sorry to make you go off on this tangent, but I'm going to bring you back here. Yeah? We're going to first do the Bok news because people want to talk about Andre Pollard. So, um, so let's do that and then we're going to get into the, the, the nuts and bolts of that game. Uh, so... Yeah, the Bok team was named last night. Andre Pollard is back. Um, that was the one significant thing. The second significant thing was, uh, you know, Dwayne Vermeulen at seven. And then the hooker situation with uh, not so much Dion Faree starting, but more Marco van Staden actually being in the hooker number 16 jersey on the bench. Uh, Andre is the obviously obvious talking point. Um, but the Bok have been going out of their way, um, you know, to, to play it down and say, that he's not, Rossi said the other day, he's not Superman. And there tends to be a belief, sort of almost, I, I was with fans in Paris, and there tends to be a belief amongst a lot of people that, you know, Andre's going to walk in and suddenly it's a silver bullet and everything has been, you know, all our goal-kicking woes will be solved and everything will be fine again. Just what's your take on that? Um, yeah, look, the the coach also addressed that matter. Um Jacques Nina, but when he was obviously he was pushed on a few questions related to that. 
Uh, and, uh, you know, fairly similar to us. He didn't use the word or that, that, you know, Pollard isn't Superman, but he said that people, um, they should be, there, there should be a particular expectation, uh, or the expectation should be, um, realistic. You know, they can't have this, um, expectation that Andre is going to get into the team and will, will be in the starting lineup, uh, and then just soothe all their ills. Um, because in many ways, Marnie Lubbock and Damien Willemse, when they've played 10 football, have taken them in a, in, not a different direction, but like, uh, there's been more dynamism um, about the attack, certainly. Uh, you can't expect Andre Pollard to step into that situation now and take the game, the pocket, game, to where the other two uh, took it. Um, and then also, I suppose, I mean, if you, uh, if you play flower for the Springboks, there's a certain expectation about, you know, the boxes that you need to tick. Um, you know, will he, will he make all these tackles? Will he, you know, command that channel? Um, the way he used to. Uh, that that's probably one question. Uh, what will his tactical kicking be like? Um, and lo and behold, I mean, what will his goal kicking be like? Yeah, if he misses a few, what then? Um, so people's expectations should be a you know a little bit muted. Um, and you know, I think they were kind of begging for time. You know, just give the guy time to come back. He hasn't played for for so long. But you know, but then again, you know, they showed faith in him. Um, and if if you step into that position, if you play for the Springboks, if you're in the starting team, you expect the guy to be good to go. So you know, it's it, it, that, that's the kind of a counter argument I would have. Um, but you could understand that they want to draw the sting out of the um, out of the whole debate. Well, I mean, that was my first thing. I was, I was thinking, what happens if he steps up on on Saturday, misses an easy kick? Uh, and maybe misses a second kick, then, you know, what's the angst and the, you know, the, what's the reaction going to be? And, and, you know, I think as, I think Jacques's right. You have to be realistic because, I mean, the guy's play, hasn't played international rugby, what, for more than yeah. a year. The Bok game plan has evolved also in this last year into something very different. And uh, then when he was playing, there was a lot more box kicking when he was playing. There's a lot more attacking nowadays. And, um, yeah, I just feel you know there's there's so much pressure on the guy, and fair enough the the position the the Springbok ten position comes with its own sort of pressure anyway, but it just almost feels yeah. like there's an expectation yeah that that you know everything will be fine now. Andre's back, and in a way, it's also the box own making because if they the the way the whole we, I mean we've spoken about it several times on this pod about how they did the selection and how they spoke about Andre's injury and how him being out. That there was all these conspiracy theories going around, so it almost, yeah, it's almost exacerbated that whole situation a bit more. That now mm. suddenly, yeah, it's, it's it's the worst thing. And to me, I feel a bit sorry for Marnie Libok because, um, to be very honest, yeah, he he, very, he he deserves a bit of criticism for not making regulation kicks. But oh, yeah, of course, of course, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. If you play for the Springboks and yeah. there's certain things you don't do, then they, it will, you know, it, it comes with the territory. But. I mean, I think it was if if they their tactics were a bit different against Ireland, and maybe they didn't take those two long kicks, and maybe they backed their pack a bit more. You know, the conversation might have been very different when you talk about eleven points being left on the board. Six of those points were were fifty fifty um, kicks, and um, yeah, it's almost as if the box sort of backed themselves into a corner there. So yeah, I, I'm 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 looking forward to seeing what Andre can bring. I'm I'm. I must admit my expectations are a bit tempered, and uh, and uh, I, I think uh, as as Jacques Nina said, maybe we should listen to his words. Yeah, 
um, just exactly what they expecting from Hundred on Saturday, Sunday. Sorry, Sunday. Jacques, what is your goal kicking picking order? The goal kicking picking picking order uh, for this weekend. Uh, oh, uh, okay. So th- that that's a good question, and and I'm going to spend some time on this because I think on the goal kicking thing, and, and I think it will be is Andre now the number one? Is it Marnie? Is it goal kicking? Is that the reason why there's a one and a two? There, there's three realities uh, that must be seen. As a unit, it can't be seen separately. So, okay, the first reality is I think it's for all to see that we probably are not as consistent off the tee as one should hope we, we, we can be. I, I think in some games we kick 100%. Uh, if you go back at history, you will find that there's some test matches where we didn't miss a kick uh, at goal. Uh, like France, 2022, we didn't miss a kick at goal and we used three different kickers on that specific night. So, but we are not consistently there. So that's the first reality. The second reality is that the, the guy who probably is the most consistent off the tee for us is Andre. I think that's fair to say. But, like I mentioned, he's been injured. He didn't participate in any test matches for us for 13 months. And then the third reality is that the guys that had to step up and to take over the, the, the 10 role was Damien Willemse and Marnie Libok. And in that, that 13 months that Andre wasn't available for the Springboks, there were 16 test matches and we won 75% of those 16. 16 test matches. We lost four. And the four test matches we lost is two against Ireland, who's the number one team in the world, and everybody is struggling against them. They haven't lost a test match since the test match uh, against New Zealand in Auckland. And then we lost to New Zealand. And then the other test match that we lost where those two guys were steering the spring box uh, 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 and driving the team in the 10 jersey was against France in Marseille where we got the red card. Uh, And in in three of those test matches, it was very close. Uh, Even this past one, uh, I mean, it was up to the 78th minute, there was two points in it. So I think that's the reality. Um, yes, we are not consistent off the tee. But Andre was injured and he was in the past the most consistent guy for us up the tee. But the guys that stepped in, I don't think they did a bad job. Maybe off the tee. But I mean in terms of win percentage and steering the team and getting good results. And out of those 16 test matches, only three was at home. So 13 was away from home. So I think they also... So I think... The, the whole goal-kicking thing, the fly-off thing that, 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 that is building up, I think the people out there and, and, and the fan, must. it's not just a simple thing as, is it goal-kicking? It's not. It's a much more complex thing. And I, I try to explain it now. And I think the people should know the whole truth, not just only the one thing that maybe is a specific narrative that somebody must drive. You must look at it at a holistic thing, like, like, like we look at it. And, it. and that's the reality. You're with Brendan Nell and Liam Delcom on the To The Last Drop podcast. Um, yeah, so look, Jacques did touch on the fact as well that we were talking earlier uh, about the messaging around the injury and the, the information they put out. And he admitted, um, it's not because he was asked, he just admitted um, that they didn't make all the information, they didn't put it in the public domain. So, you know, if you don't do that, then people will speculate. So some of it is of their own doing. The interesting thing for me now, uh, you know, the return of Pollard in this game in particular, um, where the box now are in search of five points, they've made the point. Quacha uh, Smith made, made the point the other day. He said, no, 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 there's no, can be no doubt. We're looking for five points. That's what, that's the priority. Uh, it's not just the win, it's the five points. Um, 
the way they go about their business. Because if it was just about getting the win, um, you can almost expect Pollard to play in a you know the way he used to play. Uh, there, there are certain strengths that he would play to, but now they would have to play with a bit more attacking urgency. So that in itself, uh, you know, his, his readiness to embrace the, where the game has gone, their game has gone. Uh, that for me will be a very interesting dynamic. Yeah, same. Yeah, because um, if you look at it as well, I mean, the box are playing a much more attacking brand of rugby at the moment, and 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 Scotland and Ireland both went out and sort of placed the marker. I mean, Scotland for, scored forty five points, Ireland scored over fifty against Tonga. Uh, while Tonga can give you trouble, um, and and we saw that in two thousand seven in Lance in that famous game where they almost. I think it was a bounce of a ball that almost cost the box victory there. Uh, yeah, this is this is the type of team you need to you know, place that mark in. I mean, you need to do pretty much similar to what Ireland did because it, it might, I know it may be a long shot, but it might come down to points difference at some point. Mm. Yeah, you look. You will need Scotland to come to the party in a very significant way to bring any doubt to you know the outcome of this pool. Um, you know, they'll need 10 points basically. Uh, including the win over Ireland to to bring it to that sort of situation. So that is unlikely. Um, but from a South African perspective, uh, you obviously need to just make sure that you steer yourself clear of that potential or that, yeah, the, the trouble that that might hold. Um, you know, we spoke about uh, at Tonga. You, you spoke about Tonga. You know, if you look at their performance against Scotland, uh, it's quite clear that they pack a punch in the scrums. Um, just generally speaking, in, in the collisions, I mean, they, they, they will bring some force. Um, so while the, you know, while the scrum is something that they might look forward to, their line-out is a bit wonky. Uh, no doubt about that. Um, and also their defense, while when they make a tackle, they, they make it stick. Uh, they don't make all their tackles. You know, uh, they missed, they missed 48 tackles against Scotland, which is a significant number. To be fair, Scotland had a lot of the ball, but to miss 48 tackles is a, is a significant number. So, you know, I think the box will, um, push and prod and, and they will find gaps and they will find holes. Um, and, uh, you know, if they just go about their business in a, in a proper way, um, you know, this, they should get the five points. I don't, I don't see how they won't. It'd be interesting also to just to see uh, how the discipline, um, because um, Tonga's obviously lost Fafita for that head clash. They are a team that can stray on discipline and, and if that would have maybe influenced the way they make their tackles in any way, probably not, but um, we might see a card or two in, in that game again. Uh, yeah, so that's also be a factor there. Uh, Marco van Staden at Hooker, I, I'm still, I must admit, I'm still shaking my head at this one, but uh, yeah, it is what we have, and uh, he is the reserve Hooker now. To be fair, I think for this, for this game, it was always going to be that. Uh, Bongi has played, I think, something like 14 tests in a row, 14 or 15. Um, he missed a test against Argentina last year, and since then, uh, he has pretty much been involved in every game. So there's no doubt that he needs a break. Um, and, and for, for what the box have been arguing when they decided to go with Pollard as Malcolm Marx's replacement and then having Fourie, Dion Fourie and, uh, and Marco van Staden as the, the backup bookers. Um, they, they, yeah, they, again, they made their own bed there. So in other words, these two have to play in this game. I mean, there's no, there's no way around it. But, but I'm with you in, in that when you look at the team sheet and you see Marco Fonstan's name as the, <laughs> the backup. Yeah, okay, yeah. 
it leaves you with a bit of a chill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Um, uh, uh, saying on that, on Malcolm Marx, uh, I think, I think in my, my, just sitting there in the Stade de France and maybe we can just chat. I was over there, um, courtesy of, uh, the, the wonderful people at Castle Lago who gave me a last minute invitation. And Liam knows behind the scenes how I scrambled to get a Schengen visa, uh, in, in a day and a half, um, which, you know, thankfully came through to some wonderful people at the, uh, the French tourism guys it helped us out there. But, um, it was a very different experience, obviously traveling with a touring group than what, what Liam, you know, obviously covering the, the box, what you doing. Um, and, and, and I'm not going to lie. The guys really, really kept me busy. Um, uh, there was a bunch of very thirsty guys on that trip and as they should be. Uh, when you say busy, busy, what, what, what do you what mean? Do you mean? <laughs> Well, I was trying to explain that. They're very thirsty, these guys. They're, obviously, it's an SA Breweries group, so uh, they were very, very thirsty, these guys. So we um, tended uh, to stay away from the wine, which I know I'm going to get some. I was about to say, you know, this is partly a wine show, apparently. Um, yes. So you did not. So you traveled to France. You spent 11 hours in an aircraft to get there. Um, and at, at no point. How many meals did you have while you were on the ground? Ah, oh, jeez, I was there for what, three days. So it was a whirlwind. But, um, yeah, there, there wasn't wine involved in any of those meals, unfortunately. In fact, the closest I came to wine was on the aircraft. On, on, on <laughs> so yeah, it, it's, I know, I feel like you have to deeply disconcerting. I feel like you have to throw in that, you know, the Game of Thrones, uh, uh, meme of the woman behind the woman saying shame, ringing the bell and me walking yeah, out. Yeah. To drag you through the village kind of thing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, it, um, but yeah, it was it was interesting, and 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 you learn that um, beer prices aren't for the faint-hearted at the, at the games either. If you're outside in the the, the fan parks, it's eight eight euros fifty, which um, is 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 quite heavy. In the stadium, it's ten euros for a beer. So from a South African point of view, yeah, the ten is ten is uh, yeah. I was I almost used a particular phrase, but you know what I mean. Yeah, it was it was um, very very uh, sore for any South African. You close your eyes and you buy the beer, but, and, 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 and yeah, it's, it's not the greatest, uh, yeah, to pay that. You can't. And then do you, you had an aperitif as well at some point, didn't you? Um, yes. At some point we tended to, um, go for the odd Jagermeister, um, which tends to happen in these evenings. And, uh, seven euros for a Jagermeister, um, it, you know, to help settle the stomach. Um, that's why we had it, of course, but, uh, uh seven euros, a, yeah. a, 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 <laughs> a pop is quite, quite hectic. Yeah. I, I had to introduce, uh, uh, one of my fellow travelers, another journalist, um, to pastis, which is, um, uh, a drink. It's an aperitif that you would find in the South, typically in the South of France. It's very much a Marseille uh, thing. Um, and it, it, you know, it, it settles the stomach as well because he's been complaining uh, every second day about his stomach. I mean, uh, he would, whether he eats a, a dry cracker or a piece of sandpaper, it seems to have the same effect. Um, so apparently, in, the water, by sorry, the way. Sorry, we've got a theory in in in, in our family that's the water. Apparently, oh well, it's you obviously know, not the yeah. water. But so yeah, yeah I introduced him to pasties, and it, it didn't seem to help. Um, and then the other day, uh, I, I showed him a little Cambodian restaurant, which is more like a takeaway place. Um, and of course, that didn't help either. Um, and when he explained his uh, sort of travails afterwards, um, uh, we're thinking of giving him the new nickname, Paul Pot. I think I know exactly who you're talking about as well. So. <laughs> 
interesting. But listen, uh, that that experience at Stade de France, and I mean, you and I have both watched a lot of tests in our, our careers. Um, I it, it was nice being in the fan and the, with fans again, uh, and watching it out of the state, uh, you know, out of the stands. But um, we, for me, that that game ranks pretty highly amongst some of the games I've, uh, I've watched. Um, and it just it's hard to explain to people the intensity and some of those hits that you could really hear the yeah. hear the hits and and and, and the almost bone crunching that you, you you almost want to wince when you you see that. And it was such a tense game to be in that stadium, and there were so many flipping Irish people. I think probably three quarters of that stadium was Irish fans. Um, in fact, Johnny Sexton Johnny Sexton made the point that um, before the game, people said that there would be something like thirty thousand uh, Irish men and women in in Paris. And in the press conference, he turned to Andy Farrell and he said, "No, it, it, it really felt like sixty thousand, and he's probably not far off." No, well, there, there was with South African fans were in the in, in the minority there very much so. But yeah, I mean, look, I mean, if you talk in terms of box losses at World Cups. Um, I, I was at Brighton. I was at when we lost against Japan. I was at uh, at Wellington when we lost against Australia. The Bryce Lawrence game; those were probably the two worst. Um, this doesn't come even close to that. It actually felt you actually walked out that stadium thinking, "Geez, that was one hell of a game to be be at," and and, and felt very privileged to walk out that stadium having watched that. But you also felt the situation where. How did the box lose that? And I mean, everyone's focused on the goal kicking, but you know, you, you got to the point where they made so many elementary errors on attack at times that you yeah. almost got a bit frustrated yeah. at that. Uh, yes, and it's not the first time because um, you know they tick all the boxes, uh, whether it's in the scrum and the line out. Um, yeah, and there obviously you would lose the odd one, and there were two crucial scrum penalties, obviously. But on the whole, they scrum quite well in that game. Lineup was fine. They didn't maul that much, which in, in itself is a almost a different podcast. Um, yes. And in the in the attack, especially when they got into the red zone, uh, they just couldn't apply the finishing touches. Um, and, and that's not the first time. I mean, there are other other matches we can reflect on with with that has happened as well. And in fact, Jacques Miraba made the point where he said the the goal kicking, while it was a problem, he's more concerned about the fact that they couldn't finish because obviously your your reward is so much yeah. greater if you if you're able to to get over the line. So um, yeah, that is definitely something of uh, department in the game that they will need to sharpen up on. Um, but this weekend against Tonga would kind of help them. But then again, there's such a leap um, in quality between some of these teams because you have Scotland, yeah. then you suddenly play Romania, and you know the same intensity just isn't there. Then they play Ireland, and then now Tonga, and it's you know a bit of a, a seesawing exercise. Um, but one way or the other, they need to to solve that by the time they play in the quarterfinals because at the moment it looks like they're going to be playing the host nation front. Yeah, and and, and obviously all the, uh, quite interestingly, all the talk has been about Anton Dupont and getting back before the quarterfinals, and we all want to see the best players play in the knockout rounds. Uh, I just had a, a, a interesting thought, which I thought, uh, Johan Deisel, who got banned for five weeks for that head clash that uh, fractured uh, Dupont's cheek, uh, yeah, if it was any other player that had a head clash, and given the inconsistencies in the disciplinary process, come on, Brendan, you you cannot take out the face of the World Cup, quite literally, the face of the World Cup. If you look, if you travel around France, 
the face that you see is Antoine de Pons. And now you, you go there and you just shatter this face, um, basically leaving the World Cup in tatters. In fact, I think somebody wrote that it was he likened to somebody walking into the Louvre and um, defacing the Mona Lisa. Yeah, that's that's taking it a bit. That's taking it a bit far. But you sort of wonder if it was any other player would he have got a twelve-week entry point where everybody else gets a six-week entry point. Um, but it is what it is, and and. Now we're going to have the specter of, of, of having the, the mini Hannibal Lecter coming back at the box, mm. um, you know, with the face mask, which is going to, of course, yeah, the face of the World Cup is going to become very different and be, be very all hidden. the headlines. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to find out the man lifting the World Cup is Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> yeah, yeah so it's, it's going to be interesting, but obviously, yeah, the box will have to tick that box to get to the quarterfinals, but it's going to be a very interesting clash against France. Just one question, because I heard that a lot from fans as, while I was in Paris. Uh, there's this weird conspiracy theory going around that we wanted to throw this game because we wanted to play France. Do you think the box wanted to play France, or do you think they didn't really care? I think where they, their game is at, they would have felt quite comfortable against New Zealand or France. So, no, that's a very silly uh, conspiracy theory. That's just something that somebody... Over his 29th beer decided, oh, this is a good idea. Let's put this out in the universe. Yeah, well, there were a couple uh, of those people I was with on uh, during the, the trip, so I'm sure that's probably where it emanated from. Um, I suppose there's some other rugby going on in the World Cup, and we should actually quickly just talk about that. Uh, yeah, uh, there's Eddie Jones has left Australia in a very, very um, uncomfortable position at the moment. And, uh, I mean, I didn't see the game because I was on the flight, but I saw the highlights afterwards. And it just looked like Australia were nowhere. And, and uh, I can just imagine yeah, all those quotes of Eddie saying, oh, mate, if you don't know rugby, don't come talk to me, coming back to haunt him now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's been uh, very front footish uh, in the way he's put down journalists. Um, and I'm afraid to say they're going to have the last laugh because um, that Australian performance was just about as blunt as I've seen. I mean... Um, I didn't attend the 97 game uh, when they lost to the box uh, in in Pretoria, but I have seen some poor Wallaby teams. But this doesn't, that performance doesn't rank uh, with that. It's just like they didn't fire any shots. They didn't look capable of firing any shots. And I mean, I, I don't even think Wales were that great. They Wales sort of turned up and um, played what you would expect from a Warren Gatland coach team. And um, there was nothing coming back from the other side of the net. It was just, it was quite bizarre. Um, and and, and yeah. somebody posted, I mean, one of the ex-players posted on, on Twitter, you know, the the Wallaby players' reaction afterwards and how broken they were, how emotionally shattered they were and how much, because people were questioning whether, you know, it, it means enough or whether they, you know, the effort was there. And clearly the effort was there, but then you need to ask the question, were these guys tooled and equipped to play that game or, or, or play the game, any game in this World Cup for that matter, because they just looked um, well short of where they're supposed to be. Yeah, you sort of wonder also if Eddie's just lost the change room. I mean, we've, we've all covered teams, you know, where they're, they're just that, that little 1% or 2% belief that you need extra is just not there, and that makes a huge difference when it comes to a, thing, a game like this. Yeah, he, he made those selection, those big selection calls, um, and in, in moments uh, you could see it in that game against Wales where you needed calm heads to prevail and, and you know, experience, and this is where experience comes in. And if you want to leave people like Mike Loop and Quade Cooper out, um, then it comes to bite you the way it did. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, the Wales now, if I read uh, BBC Wales and Wales Online, 
They've almost won the World Cup. Um, the same with the English papers. Uh, yeah, uh, Steve Borthwick has performed miracles, apparently. The fact that they haven't really come up against a top five side in world rugby, I suppose, doesn't really matter. They, they played hard. They beat Argentina and they, they were, they were efficient on that night because they were man down. So they, they, they regrouped very nicely in that game and, and good on them for that. But apart from that, I mean, they haven't done anything spectacular because if you look at the rest of the group, um, so yeah, they, they look, I mean, they still need to play their quarterfinal and you know, be judged on that. Uh, you, sort of, you, sort, you sort of get the feeling that you know, their biggest hope is that they get enough momentum and they catch one of the okay. bigger sides on the off day being a bit battered by obviously all the other big games they've but- played. Yeah, momentum and belief. I think uh, belief is going to be a, and 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 England can attach themselves to that very quickly. That that thing. That's something they've proved at World Cups. Uh, they get a bit of a, a bit of belief, and suddenly anything is possible. But yeah, it's going to be an interesting one. The box need to tick boxes. We we need to obviously uh, get into the quarterfinals next week. We there's a two week break, so the box have got some time off. So we, we'll look to, to look a bit more in depth as well. Oh, and yes, of course, while we're talking, Liam's just waving a bottle of wine at me through the, the Zoom link here. So uh, tell us a bit more about your wine that you're drinking, Liam. Shame me a bit more that I didn't drink wine in France. You didn't do what? Uh, I, I, I went to a little wine shop around the corner the other day, and as you walk in, because... Uh, Provence is obviously um, rosé country. I mean, they make f- fabulous rosés. Uh, I'm not a big rosé drinker necessarily at home, but but if you hear, and given uh, the climate, um, and, and given what what nature offers you, what ends up on your plate, a glass of rosé is usually the thing that you um, you know you find most welcoming. And um, again. Because of the South African rand, I had to rein myself in a little bit. So it's a bottle of Cote de Mer, and it's from Chateau de Bormetz. Uh I'm not entirely sure where it is. Uh, they've got a few different things here on the uh, on the label. Um, and I, I had this with a, a Provencal uh, stew the other day, a sausage stew. And it was wonderful. I have to say, it um, it did exactly what it was supposed to do. And I've got I've got half a bottle left. And um, yeah, I will go to the the indoor. There's a fabulous indoor market here in Toulon. Um, wonderful fresh produce, and I'll, I'll take a bit of a, a gander through that later on this afternoon, and um, plow my way through the rest of this bottle. Liam, I'm, I'm struggling to understand what you mean by half a bottle. Is that like leftover wine? One of those strange concepts we don't see in South Africa. I have to pace myself, Brendan. Of course, you're working. I, I forget you're working. Well, on that note, I think we've had a good chat. We'll chat to you after the uh, Tonga game, and we'll know whether the, whether the box are in the quarterfinals, and we'll probably know a lot more if Hannibal Dupont is, is going to be in the quarterfinal as well. Uh, but this has been To The Last Drop. I'm Brendan Nell. I'm with DM.com. Thanks for listening. We'll chat to you guys next week. Thanks for listening. And a reminder, you can find all the To The Last Drop podcasts on the Brendan Nell YouTube channel, iono.fm, Spotify, player.fm, Pocket Casts, Google Podcasts, and iTunes, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts.